Time Warner Audiobooks presents Star Wars. was traveling was intentional, the product of a desperate desire to avoid the long streaks of intense energy that slid close past its hull. One of those probing beams succeeded in touching the fleeing ship, striking its principal solar fin. Gem-like fragments of metal and plastic erupted into space as the fin disintegrated. The vessel seemed to shudder. The source of those energy beams suddenly hove into view, a lumbering imperial cruiser, its massive outline bristling with dozens of weapons emplacements. Light ceased arching from those spines now as the cruiser moved in close. Another distant explosion shook the ship, but it certainly didn't feel distant to R2-D2 or C-3PO. The concussion bounced them around the corridor like bearings in an old motor. One would have supposed that the tall, human-like machine, Threepio, was the master, and the stubby, tripodal robot, R2-D2, an inferior. But while Threepio might have sniffed disdainfully at the suggestion, they were, in fact, equal in everything save loquacity. Here, Threepio was clearly the superior. Still another explosion rattled the corridor, throwing Threepio off balance. R2 glanced up at 3PO, who was steadying himself against a corridor wall. Lights blinked enigmatically around a single mechanical eye as the smaller robot studied the battered casing of his friend. Accompanying the last attack was a persistent deep hum, which even the loudest explosion had not been able to drown out. Then, for no apparent reason, the basso thrumming abruptly ceased. Did you hear that? 3PO inquired rhetorically of his patient companion. They've shut down the main reactor. This is madness. He shook his head slowly. This time we'll be destroyed for sure. We can't enter the atmosphere with our main stabilizer fin destroyed. I can't believe we're simply going to surrender. A small band of armed humans suddenly appeared, rifles held at the ready. They carried about them the aura of men prepared to die. Thripio watched silently until they had vanished around a far bend in the passageway. When several muffled explosions sounded, Thripio murmured, 
they've broken in somewhere above us. There's no escape for the captain this time. Turning, he peered down at R2. I think we'd better... The shriek of overstressed metal filled the air before he could finish, and the far end of the passageway was lit by a blinding flash. Somewhere down there, the little cluster of armed crew, who had passed by minutes before, had encountered the ship's attackers. At the far end, a gaping hole appeared in the roof, and reflective forms like big metal beads began dropping to the corridor floor. Both robots knew that no machine could match the fluidity of those shapes. The new arrivals were humans in armor. One of them looked past 3PO. The figure shifted its big rifle around in armored hands. Too late. A beam of intense light struck the head, sending pieces of armor, bone, and flesh flying in all directions. Half the invading Imperial troops turned and began returning fire up the corridor, aiming past the two robots. Quick, this way, 3PO ordered. R2 turned with him. They had taken only a couple of steps when they saw the rebel crewmen in position ahead, firing down the corridor. In seconds, the passageway was filled with smoke and crisscrossing beams of energy. This is all your fault, he shouted angrily. I don't know why you insisted we come down this stupid access corridor. Not that it matters now. The whole ship must be. R2-D2 cut him off in mid-speech with some angry beepings and hoots of his own. Is that so? 3PO sneered in reply. Well, the same to you, you little... An exceptionally violent explosion shook the passage, drowning him out. Two meters tall... Bipedal, flowing black robes trailing from the figure, and a face forever masked by a bizarre black metal breath screen. A dark lord of the Sith was an awesome shape as it strode through the corridors of the rebel ship. Fear followed the footsteps of the dark lord. The cloud of evil which clung tight about him was intense enough to cause hardened Imperial troops to back away. Once resolute rebel crew members ceased resisting, broke and ran in panic at the sight of the black armor, armor that was not nearly as dark as the thoughts drifting through the mind within. One purpose dominated that mind now, it burned in the brain of Darth Vader as he turned down another passageway in the broken fighter. Only a robot was left to stir freely in the wake of the Dark Lord's passing. 3PO glanced around. R2-D2, where are you? The smoke seemed to part a bit. 3PO found himself staring up the passageway. R2-D2, it seemed, was there. But he wasn't looking in 3PO's direction. The little robot appeared frozen in an attitude of attention. Leaning over him was a young, slim, human figure. One small hand seemed to be moving over the front of R2's torso. 3PO started toward them as the haze thickened once more, but when he reached the end of the corridor, only R2 stood there, waiting. Where have you been? 3PO finally asked. Hiding, I suppose. They'll be coming back this way, he went on looking for human survivors. What are we going to do now? We'll be sent to the spice mines of Kessel, or taken apart for spare components for other less deserving robots. 
but R2 had already turned and was ambling quickly back down the passageway. Wait, where are you going? Uttering curses in several languages, 3PO raced after his friend. Outside the Galactic Cruiser's control center, the corridor was crowded with sullen prisoners gathered by Imperial troops. As if on command, everyone became silent as a massive caped form came into view. Two of the heretofore resolute rebel officers began to shake. Stopping before one of them, the towering figure reached out wordlessly. A massive hand closed around the man's neck and lifted him off the deck. The rebel officer's eyes bulged, but he kept his silence. An imperial officer scrambled down out of the fighter's control room, shaking his head briskly. Nothing, sir. Information retrieval system's been wiped clean. Darth Vader acknowledged this news with a barely perceptible nod. The impenetrable mask turned to regard the officer he was torturing. Metal-clad fingers contracted. The prisoner desperately tried to pry them loose, but to no avail. What have you done with the information tapes? Vader rumbled. We intercepted no information. This is a counselor vessel. We're on a diplomatic mission. Chaos, take your mission. Where are those tapes? He squeezed harder. The officer's voice was a bare, choked whisper. Oh, only the commander knows. Thick fingers tightened further, and the officer's struggles became more frantic. His last words were choked past intelligibility. That hand continued to tighten, producing a chilling snapping and popping of bone. Then, with a disgusted wheeze, Vader threw the dull form of the dead man against a far wall. The massive form whirled, and Imperial officers shrank under that baleful stare. Start tearing this ship apart until you find those tapes. As for the passengers, if any, I want them alive. R2-D2 finally came to a halt in an empty corridor, devoid of the signs of battle. A worried, confused 3PO pulled up behind him as the squat robot reached up with one clawed limb and snapped the seal on a lifeboat hatch. You're not permitted in there. It's restricted to humans only. Somehow, R2 had succeeded in wedging his body into position in front of the control board. He threw a stream of loud beeps and whistles at his reluctant companion. 3PO listened. Mission? What mission? You sound like you haven't got an integrated logic terminal left in your brain. No. No more adventures. I'm not getting in there. An angry electronic twang came from the R2 unit. Don't call me a mindless philosopher, 3PO snapped back. He was concocting a rejoinder when an explosion blew out the back wall of the corridor. Muttering, the lanky robot jumped into the life pod. Oh, I'm going to regret this, he muttered as R2 activated the safety door behind him. The smaller robot flipped a series of switches, and with the thunder of explosive latches, the life pod ejected from the crippled fighter.
The binding that locked the girl's hands behind her back was primitive and effective. The constant attention the squad of troopers favored her with might have been out of place for one small female, except for the fact that their lives depended on her being delivered safely. Above her towered Darth Vader, red eyes glaring behind the hideous breath mask. A muscle twitched in one smooth cheek, but other than that the girl didn't react, nor was there the slightest shake in her voice. Darth Vader, only you would be so bold. Well, the Imperial Senate will not sit still for this when they hear that you have attacked a diplomatic mission. Senator Leia Organa, don't play games with me, Your Highness. You aren't on any mercy mission. You pass directly through a restricted system. The huge metal skull dipped close. I know that several transmissions were beamed to this vessel by spies within that system. I want to know what happened to the data they sent you. I don't know what you're blathering about, she snapped, looking away from him. I'm a member of the Senate on a diplomatic mission to... To your part of the Rebel Alliance, Vader declared. You're also a traitor. His gaze went to a nearby officer. Take her away. When she was gone, a commander attracted Vader's attention. Uh, holding her is dangerous, he ventured. If word of this does get out, there will be much unrest in the Senate. It will generate sympathy for the rebels. She should be destroyed immediately. No. My first duty is to locate that hidden fortress of theirs. All the rebel spies have been eliminated. Therefore, she is now my only key to discovering its location. A cluster of tired-looking troops marched purposefully up to their commander and the Dark Lord. The data tapes in question are not aboard the ship, the officer in charge recited mechanically. Nor were there any transmissions directed outward from the time we made contact. A malfunctioning lifeboat pod was ejected during the fighting, but no life forms were on board. Vader appeared thoughtful. It could have been a malfunctioning pod. It might also have contained the tapes. Send down a detachment to retrieve them, or to make certain they are not in the pod. If those data tapes exist, they must be retrieved or destroyed at all costs. With that accomplished and the senator in our hands, we will see the end of this absurd rebellion. What a forsaken place this is. 3PO turned cautiously to look back at where the pod lay half buried in the sand. High sandstone mesas dominated the skyline to one side. Every other direction showed only an endless series of marching dunes like long yellow teeth. A faint cloud of minute dust particles rose in their wake as the two robots marched away from the pod. Well, we seem to have been made to suffer, 3PO moaned. Something squeaked in his right leg, and he winced. I've got to rest before I fall apart. He paused, but R2-D2 did not. The little automaton was ambling slowly but steadily in the direction of the nearest mesa. Now, where do you think you're going? R2 paused, emitting a stream of electronic explanation. Well, I'm not going that way, 3PO declared. It's too rocky. A long whistle issued from the depths of R2. 
Don't get technical with me, 3PO warned. I've had just about enough of your decisions. R2 beeped once. All right, go your way. You'll be sandlogged within a day, you nearsighted scrap pile. 3PO started off toward the glaring horizon, glancing back over his shoulder. Don't let me catch you following me, begging for help, because you won't get it. The R2 unit trudged off toward the sandstone ridges. Several hours later, a straining 3PO struggled up the top of what he hoped was the last towering dune. Reaching the crest of the dune, 3PO peered anxiously ahead. Instead of the hoped-for greenery of human civilization, he saw only several dozen more dunes, identical to the one he now stood upon. 3PO turned and looked back toward the now far-off rocky plateau. You malfunctioning little twerp, he muttered. This is all your fault. You tricked me into going this way, but you'll do no better. Nor would he, if he didn't continue on. Already his receptors were beginning to go, he reflected. It seemed he saw something moving in the distance. Heat distortion, probably. No, no, it was definitely light on metal, and it was moving toward him. His hopes soared. He rose and began waving frantically. He neglected, in his excitement, to consider the possibility that it might not be of human origin. R2 made his careful way up a rocky arroyo, hunting for the easiest pathway to the top. His squarish, broad footpads made clicking sounds in the evening light as sand gave way gradually to gravel. For a moment, he paused. He seemed to detect a noise, like metal on rock ahead of him. The sound wasn't repeated, though, and he quickly resumed his ambling ascent. Far up the arroyo, a pebble trickled loose from the stone wall. The tiny figure which had dislodged the pebble retreated mouse-like into shadow. Two glowing points of light showed under overlapping folds of brown cape. Only the reaction of the unsuspecting robot indicated the presence of the whining beam as it struck him. Three travesties of men scurried out from behind concealing boulders. Their motions were more indicative of rodent than humankind, and they stood little taller than the R2 unit. When they saw that they had immobilized the robot, they holstered their peculiar weapons. The Jawas conversed in low guttural croaks and scrambled analogues of human speech. Several more Jawas appeared. Together, they succeeded in alternately dragging the robot back down the arroyo. At the bottom of the canyon, like some monstrous prehistoric beast, was a sand crawler, as enormous as its owners were tiny. On reaching the crawler, the Jawas resumed jabbering among themselves. One of them removed a small disc from a belt pouch and sealed it to the R2 unit's flank. A large tube protruded from one side of the gargantuan vehicle. They rolled him over to it and then moved clear. There was a brief moan, the whoosh of a powerful vacuum, and the small robot was sucked into the bowels of the sand crawler as neatly as a pea up a straw. 
This part of the job completed, the Jawas scurried into the crawler via tubes and ladders for all the world like a nest of mice returning to their holes. None too gently, the suction tube deposited R2 in a small cubicle. In addition to varied piles of broken instruments and scrap, a dozen or so robots of differing shapes and sizes populated the prison. A few were locked in electronic conversation. Others muddled aimlessly about. But one voice burst out in surprise. R2-D2! It's you! It's you! called an excited 3PO. He made his way over to the still immobilized repair unit and embraced it most unmechanically. Spotting the small disc sealed onto R2's side, 3PO turned his gaze thoughtfully down to his own chest, where a similar device had likewise been attached. Massive gears started to move. Groaning and grinding, the monster sand crawler turned and lumbered into the desert night. The burnished conference table was as soulless and unyielding as the Imperial officers ranged around it. One of the eight was declaiming. General Tag exhibited the attitude of one who had climbed far and fast by methods best not examined too closely. I tell you, he's gone too far this time, the general was insisting vehemently. This Sith Lord will be our undoing. Until the battle station is fully operational, we remain vulnerable. Some of you still don't seem to realize how well-equipped and organized the Rebel Alliance is, and they are propelled by something more powerful than mere engines. This perverse, reactionary fanaticism of theirs. They're more dangerous than most of you realize. An older officer shifted in his chair. Well, dangerous to your Starfleet, General Tag, but not to this battle station, Tag objected. I beg to differ, Ramadi. Within the Senate, the rebels will continue to increase their support as long... The sound of the single doorway sliding aside cut him off. Two individuals as different in appearance as they were united in objectives had entered the chamber. The nearest to Tag was a thin, hatchet-faced man with the expression of a quiescent piranha. The Grand Muff Tarkin governor of numerous outlying imperial territories, was dwarfed by the broad, armored bulk of Lord Darth Vader. Tag slowly resumed his seat as Tarkin assumed his place at the end of the conference table. The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us, gentlemen. The Emperor has permanently dissolved that misguided body. A ripple of astonishment ran through the assembly. The last remnants of the Old Republic have finally been swept away. Well, this is impossible, Tag interjected. How will the Emperor maintain control of the Imperial bureaucracy? From now on, fear will keep local governments in line. Fear of the Imperial fleet and fear of this battle station. And what of the existing rebellion, Tag wanted to know. If the rebels somehow manage to gain access to a complete technical schema of this battle station, it is remotely possible that they might be able to locate a weakness, Tarkin said. It is immaterial. Any attack made against this station would be suicidal. 
Vader's metal-clad hand gestured slightly, and one of the filled cups on the table drifted into it. With a slightly admonishing tone, the Dark Lord said, Don't become too proud of this technological terror you've spawned, Tarkin. The ability to destroy a world is still insignificant when set against the Force. The Force, Tag sneered. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient mythology has not helped you to conjure up those stolen tapes or to locate the rebels' hidden fortress. Tag's eyes abruptly bulged, and his hands went to his throat as he began to turn a disconcerting shade of blue. I find this lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this, Tarkin snapped, distressed. Vader, release him. Vader shrugged. Tag slumped in his seat, rubbing his throat, his wary gaze never leaving the dark giant. Lord Vader will provide us with the location of the Rebel Fortress by the time this station is operational, Tarkin declared. That known, we will proceed to it and destroy it utterly, crushing this pathetic rebellion in one swift stroke. The dim prison reeked of rancid oil and stale lubricants. A veritable metallic charnel house. Will this never end? Threepio was moaning as a violent jolt roughly jostled the inhabitants of the prison. The sand crawler's whine died, and the vehicle came to a halt, almost as if in response to Threepio's query. Local captives had explained the nature of the quasi-human mechanic migrants, the Jawas. Traveling in their enormous mobile fortress homes, they scoured the most inhospitable regions of Tatooine in search of valuable minerals and salvageable machinery. Wake up! Wake up! 3PO urged. We've stopped! Abruptly, the far wall of the chamber slid aside and the blinding white glare of a Tatooine morning rushed in on them. Several of the repulsive-looking Jawas scrambled agilely into the chamber, still dressed in the same swathings and filth Threepio had observed on them before. The Jawas prodded at the machines. Certain of them, Threepio noted, did not stir. Ignoring the immobile ones, the Jawas herded those still capable of movement outside, R2 and Threepio among them. Both robots found themselves part of an uneven mechanical line. Shielding his eyes against the glare, Threepio studied the small domes and vaporators that indicated the presence of a larger underground human homestead. Though he was unfamiliar with this type of construction, all signs pointed to a modest, if isolated, habitation. His spirits rose correspondingly. Maybe this won't be so bad after all, he murmured hopefully. If we can convince these bipedal vermin to unload us here, we may enter into sensible human service again. Threepio failed to notice the two figures moving toward them from the region of the largest dome. R2 had to nudge him slightly before he looked up. The first man wore an air of grim exhaustion, sandblasted into his face by years of arguing with a hostile environment. Dust frosted his face, clothes, hands and thoughts, but the body, if not the spirit, was still powerful. 
Proportionately dwarfed by his uncle's wrestler-like body, Luke Skywalker strode slump-shouldered in his shadow. A slight breeze tugged at his shaggy hair and baggy work tunic. The bigger man stopped before the assembly and entered into a peculiar squeaky dialogue with the Jawa in charge. When they wished it, the Jawas could be understood. Luke shuffled along behind his uncle as the latter began inspecting the five machines, pausing only to mutter an occasional word or two to his nephew. It was hard to pay attention, even though he knew he ought to be learning. Luke! Oh, Luke! a voice called. Turning away from the conversation, Luke walked over to the near edge of the subterranean courtyard and peered down. A stout woman was busy working among decorative plants. She looked up at him. Be sure and tell Owen that if he buys a translator to make sure it speaks bocce, Luke. Well, it looks like we don't have much of a choice, he called back. But I'll remind him. She nodded up at him, and he turned to rejoin his uncle. Apparently, Owen Lars had already settled on a small, semi-agricultural robot. This one was similar in shape to R2-D2, save that its multiple subsidiary arms were tipped with different functions. Proceeding to the end of the line, the farmer's eyes narrowed as he concentrated on the sand-scoured but still flashy bronze finish of 3PO. I presume you function, he grumbled. Do you know customs and protocol? Do I know protocol? 3PO echoed as the farmer looked him up and down. Why, it's my primary function. Don't need a protocol, droid, the farmer snapped dryly. Well, I don't blame you, sir. What could be more of a wasteful luxury in a climate like this? But I've been programmed for over 30 secondary functions that require only... I need, the farmer broke in, a droid that knows something about the binary language of moisture vaporators. Vaporators? We are both in luck, 3PO countered. My first post-primary assignment was in programming binary load lifters, very similar to your vaporators. Do you speak bocce? Of course, sir. It's like a second language to me. I'm as fluent in bocce as... Shut up. Owen Laws looked down at the Jawa. I'll take this one, too. Shutting up, sir, responded 3PO quickly, hard put to conceal his glee at being selected. Take them down to the garage, Luke, his uncle instructed him. I want you to have both of them cleaned up by supper time. Luke looked askance at his uncle. But I was going into Tashi Station to pick up some new power converters and... Don't lie to me, Luke, his uncle warned him sternly. I don't mind you wasting time with your idle friends, but only after you've finished your chores. Now hop to it, and before supper, mind. Downcast, Luke directed his words irritably to 3PO and the small agricultural robot. He knew better than to argue with his uncle. Follow me, you two. They started for the garage as Owen entered into price negotiations with the Jawa. Other Jawas were leading the three remaining machines back into the sand crawler when something let out an almost pathetic beep. Luke turned to see an R2 unit breaking formation and starting toward him. It was immediately restrained by a Jawa wielding a control device that activated the disc sealed on the machine's front plate. A minute later, something pinged sharply nearby. Glancing down, Luke saw that a head plate 
had popped off the top of the agricultural droid. A grinding noise was coming from within. A second later, the machine was throwing internal components all over the sandy ground. He called out, Uncle Owen, the servo motor central on this cultivator unit is shot. Owen Lars glared down at the nervous Jawa. What kind of junk are you trying to push on us? The Jawa responded loudly, indignantly, while simultaneously taking a couple of precautionary steps away from the big human. R2 suddenly let out a high whistle, then broke it off when he had gained 3PO's attention. Tapping Luke gently on the shoulder, the tall droid whispered, If I might say so, sir, that R2 unit is a real bargain, in top condition. I don't believe these creatures have any idea what good shape he's really in. Don't let all the sand and dust deceive you. Uncle Owen, he called and gestured toward R2-D2. What about swapping this for that one? The older man studied the R2 unit professionally, then resumed the argument for show's sake before gruffly assenting. The head Jawa consented reluctantly to the trade. Meanwhile, Luke had led the two robots toward an opening in the dry ground. The passage widened into the garage proper, which was cluttered with tools and sections of farming machinery. Near the center of the garage was a large tub, and the aroma drifting from it made 3PO's principal olfactory sensors twitch. Luke grinned, noting the robot's reaction. Yes, it's a lubrication bath. He eyed the tall bronze robot appraisingly. And from the looks of it, you could use about a week's submergence. Then Luke turned his attention to R2-D2, walking up to him and flipping open a panel that shielded numerous gauges. As for you, he continued, I don't know how you've kept running. It's recharge time for you. He gestured toward a large power unit. R2-D2 beeped once and waddled over to the boxy construction. Finding the proper cord, he flipped open a panel and plugged the triple prongs into his face. 3PO had walked over to the large cistern. With a remarkably human-like sigh, he lowered himself slowly into the tank. You two behave yourselves, Luke cautioned as he moved to a small two-man skyhopper, a powerful little suborbital spacecraft. I've got work of my own to do. Unfortunately... Luke's mind was focused on distant, far more exciting adventures than repairing droids in a garage in the wastelands of Tatooine, so that hours later he had finished few of his chores. Abruptly, something came to a boil within him. With atypical violence, he threw a power wrench across a work table nearby. It just isn't fair, he declared to no one in particular. Biggs is right. I'll never get out of here. I beg your pardon, sir. Luke spun, startled. The contrast in 3PO was striking compared with Luke's initial sight of him. Bronze-colored alloy gleamed in the overhead lights of the garage, cleaned of pits and dust by the powerful oils. Is there anything I might do to help? I doubt it, Luke replied. Unless you can alter time and speed up the harvest... Or else teleport me off this sand pile? I don't think so, sir. I'm not very knowledgeable about such things as transatomic physics. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure which planet I'm on. Luke chuckled sardonically. 
<laughs> if there's a bright center to this universe, you're on the world farthest from it. Yes, Luke, sir. The youth shook his head irritably. Well, never mind the sir, it's just Luke. And this world is called Tatooine. Threepio nodded slightly. Hmm, thank you, Luke. I am C-3PO, human droid relations. He jerked a casual metal thumb back toward the recharge unit. Mm, that is my companion, R2-D2. Pleased to meet you, Luke said easily. He checked a gauge on the smaller machine's front panel, then gave a grunt of satisfaction. As he began unplugging the charge cord, he saw something which made him frown. Luke bent over R2 and began scraping at several bumps in the small droid's top with a chromed pick. Occasionally, he jerked back sharply as bits of corrosion were flicked into the air by the tiny tool. Hmm, there's a lot of strange carbon scoring here. Looks like you've both seen a lot of action. Indeed, sir, Threepio admitted, forgetting to drop the honorific. Sometimes I'm amazed we're in as good shape as we are, what with the rebellion and all. An almost Java-like blaze appeared in Luke's eyes. You know about the rebellion against the Empire? In a way, Threepio confessed reluctantly, the rebellion was responsible for our coming into your service. We are refugees, you see. Not that Luke appeared to care. Refugees? He rambled on rapidly, excited. Tell me where you've been, and how many encounters. How is the rebellion going? Please, sir... Threepio pleaded. You misinterpret our status. Our involvement with the rebellion was of the most marginal nature. As to battles, we were in several, I think. It's difficult to tell when one is not directly in contact with the actual battle machinery. Luke turned away, disappointed, and returned to his cleaning of R2-D2. Well, my little friend, he murmured, you've got something jammed in here real good. Metal gave way with a powerful crack, and the recoil sent Luke tumbling head over heels. Getting to his feet, he started to curse, then froze motionless. The front of the R2 unit had begun to glow, exuding a three-dimensional image, less than one-third of a meter square, but precisely defined. The portrait formed within the box was so exquisite. Despite a superficial sharpness, the image flickered and jiggled unsteadily, as if the recording had been made with haste. Then the lips on the figure moved, and the girl spoke. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the voice implored huskily. Help me. You're my only hope. A burst of static dissolved the face momentarily. Then it coalesced again, and the voice repeated, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. With a raspy hum, the hologram continued. Luke sat perfectly still for a long moment. Then he blinked and directed his words to the R2 unit. What's this all about, R2-D2? The R2 unit generated a beep of surprise, as if just noticing the hologram. This was followed by a whistling stream of information. Threepio digested the data. He insists it's nothing, sir. Merely old data. He insists we pay it no mind. Who is she? he demanded, staring enraptured at the hologram. She's beautiful, 
I really don't know who she is, Threepio confessed honestly. I think she might have been a passenger on our last voyage. Is there any more to this recording? It sounds like it's incomplete. Getting to his feet, Luke reached out for the R2 unit. The robot moved backward and produced whistles of such frantic concern that Luke hesitated. Threepio said, He says that he is the property of one Obi-Wan Kenobi, a resident of this world. The sentence fragment we are hearing is part of a private message intended for this person. Quite frankly, sir, I don't know what he's talking about. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Luke recited thoughtfully. His expression suddenly brightened. Say, I wonder if he could be referring to old Ben Kenobi. I don't know anyone named Obi-Wan, but old Ben lives somewhere out on the fringe of the western dune sea. He's kind of a local character, a hermit. Uncle Owen and a few of the other farmers say he's a sorcerer. Luke's gaze was drawn irresistibly back to the hologram. I wonder who she is. She must be important, especially if what you told me just now is true, Threepio. Maybe the message is important. We ought to hear the rest of it. He reached again for the R2's internal controls, and the robot scurried backward again, squeaking a blue streak. He says there's a restraining separator bolt that's circuiting out his self-motivation components. Threepio translated. He suggests that if you move the bolt, he might be able to repeat the entire message. Luke considered the request. Well, I guess you're too small to run away from me if I take this off. I wonder what someone would be sending a message to old Ben for. Selecting the proper tool, Luke reached down into the exposed circuitry and popped the restraining bolt free. The portrait disappeared. Where did she go? Play the entire message, R2-D2. R2 sat and hummed softly to himself. A voice from down a corridor interrupted him. Luke, come to dinner. Luke hesitated, then turned away from the puzzling little droid. Okay, he called. I'm coming, Aunt Beru. He lowered his voice as he spoke to 3PO. See what you can do with him. I'll be back soon. He hurried from the chamber. A plaintive beep came from R2. No, 3PO responded. I don't think he likes you at all. A second beep failed to alter 3PO's tone. No, I don't like you either. Aunt Beru was filling a pitcher with blue liquid. In the dining area... A steady buzz of conversation reached to the kitchen. I think that R2 unit might have been stolen, Uncle Owen, Luke was saying. His uncle mumbled his reply around a mouthful of food. What makes you think the droid is stolen? It claims to be the property of someone called Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do you know who he's talking about? Surprisingly, his uncle looked uncomfortable instead of angry. Uh, it's nothing. A name from another time. A name that can only mean trouble. Luke refused to heed the implied warning. Is it someone related to old Ben, then? I didn't know he had any relatives. You stay away from that old wizard, you hear me? His uncle exploded. Owen, Aunt Beru entered and started to interject. Now, this is important, Beru. 
he turned his attention back to his nephew. I've told you about Kenobi before. He's a crazy old man. He's dangerous and full of mischief, and he's best left well alone. Beiru's pleading gaze caused him to quiet somewhat. That droid has nothing to do with him. Couldn't have. Tomorrow, I want you to take the unit into Anchorhead and have its memory flushed. But suppose it does belong to someone else, Luke wondered. What if this Obi-Wan person comes looking for his droid? An expression between sorrow and a sneer crossed his uncle's seamed face. He won't. I don't think that man exists anymore. He died about the same time as your father. Now, forget about it. Then it was a real person, Luke murmured. He added slowly, Did he know my father? I said forget about it, Owen snapped. Your only worry, as far as those two droids are concerned, is having them ready for work tomorrow. You know, Luke replied distantly, I was thinking about our agreement about me staying on for another season. If these new droids do work out, I want to transmit my application to enter the Academy for next year. Listen, his uncle told him, for the first time, we've got a chance for a real fortune. We'll make enough to hire some extra hands for next time. Then you can go to the Academy. He fumbled over words, unaccustomed to pleading. I need you here, Luke. It's another year, his nephew objected sullenly. Convinced that Luke had come round to his way of thinking, Owen shrugged the objection off. Time will pass before you know it. Abruptly, Luke rose. That's what you said last year when Biggs left. And now they say he's gone off to join the rebellion. He spun and half ran from the room. Silence hung in the air of the dining room. Husband and wife ate mechanically. Eventually, Aunt Beru said, Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He's got too much of his father in him. For the first time all evening, Owen Lars looked thoughtful as well as concerned. That's what I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm.